everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hagenbotham, and here is your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And today we have got lots of, I was going to say we have lots of security news for you, but actually it's insecurity news. Um, mm, wow. Wow. <laughs> nice. We almost were in unison there, yeah, Kevin. That's good. Wait. That was not planned either. No, no. Nothing about our show is planned. Has, shh, shh, that's a secret. <laughs> as most people, pro- they probably can tell, Kevin. I'm sure they can. It's pretty obvious. So as a parent, both of us probably had the same reaction to the news this week that um, hackers, a, well, actually not hackers, a single hacker, um, and this is a person who actually isn't selling the data or doing anything with it, but just just to see that if he could, got into VTEX servers mm. and basically got access to the tally is now, is it 6 million data on 6 million children? It is. It's 6.3 million children and 4.8 million parent accounts. So obviously some of those parents have multiple kids using VTEC products. And this this is just a tragedy. I mean, yes, for us parents, but just in general, this is terrible. I mean, there are photos of these kids, chat logs, all kinds of things, and it's 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 just such a shame. And and VTech, VTech has said it it admits the database was not as secure as it should have been. Well, what was your first clue, folks? Oh, so, that's terrible. <laughs> sorry. No, no, this is this is this is bad. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a tragedy. I mean, there's there's not a loss of life here. This is a as hacks go, this is more of a a chest thumping hack as opposed to a Oh, what will we call it? A actual breach that's, you know, designed to show your data or like to cause actual harm. But VTech makes a variety of toys. They make uh, connected tablets for kids. They make, what else do they make? Let's see. Some of them have, you know, have some smarts to them and displays. And obviously some have cameras. I they mean, do. It's a wide range of, of kids' toys. And basically what happened is... The hacker performed, basically he did an SQL injection hack. And this is, this is kind of a brute force attack. Um, they, they insert malicious commands into the website's forms to kind of trick it to get other data. Database access. Database access. Mm-hmm. And so once they had database access, what they discovered was that the, the passwords were not stored secure. Well, they were stored securely, but they weren't hashed, correct? Oh, no, no. The passwords were hashed. They were protected. So they weren't like, that's not too bad. Yeah. It's not like they were in plain text and so on. So, you know, I don't want to backtrack on what I said to VTech because obviously they realize they have an issue, but at least they were not in, you know, plain text passwords. Yeah. Cause we, I mean, we've seen actually a lot of hacks recently and, and basically what happens is they get into the database and boom, there are your passwords all right there next mm-hmm. to your usernames. So, okay. But what the hacker did discover is that they could actually tie the information about the kids. So they had the kids' names, ages, that sort of thing. And then they could tie it back to the parents, which then had the parents' names and their addresses. So they had the kids' names tied to their parents, which gave them the kids' names, their address. Genders, birth dates. Photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah. The chat logs, the, the audio files, because you can do audio chat on some of these devices, they are encrypted by AES-128. Uh, this is according to VTech's public statement on, on the topic. But it says chat logs are not encrypted. Okay, so they couldn't hear your children, but they could see what they were typing. Yep, that's correct. No credit card information. 
uh, no social security numbers or any or driver's license numbers of parents. That's not part of the profiles. So I mean, it, it's it's just I, some identity information, and a lot of it obviously is, well, most of it is is children. Right. And so, again, I'll say it. As a parent, your fear here isn't, it, it's a visceral fear of your kid's picture. Mm-hmm. Be, I mean, this data is like, I mean, it's kind of like like a one-stop shopping for pedophiles is, is basically your worst yeah. fear. Yep. That, that's, that, that's, that's worst case. I totally agree. Yep. So, in reality, this is probably more inflammatory because, you know, again, that, that root fear is pretty mm-hmm. bad as a parent. You're like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're never supposed to put your kid's picture online. We do it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I'm looking at someone's Facebook page, I could probably figure out where they live. They've got their kid's picture up there. You know, is it that hard? If I yeah. really wanted to get that information, probably not. It, it would be worse, obviously, if it was a true hack to get and either sell or, you know, give out the information. But that hacker did not do that. This was a test of his abilities and their and VTech security. So from that perspective, it, it's it's a little better than it could have been. I'm surprised the hacker didn't, I'm, I should say it this way, I'm surprised VTech didn't find out from the hacker. That's what I would have preferred to see happen in this situation. However, when asked about how VTech found out about the breach, it said they that they received an email from a Canadian journalist asking about the incident on November 23rd. So they found out not from the hacker. Yeah. So it's bad all around. I mean, it's Yeah. This is there's nothing good here. And No. <sighs> well, you know. the, uh, there there is going to be something good come of it and that is they're going to beef up their protocols on how they handle this data. So going forward, you would hope that the odds of this happening again are far less. So if there's a silver lining, that's what it is. Maybe. Yes. I mean, that is the silver lining. It also, I think, gets to our next point, which is, Mm. yikes, a lot of the stuff that we have right now that is connected, a lot of the Mm. information companies are asking for, we really should be asking them, do they need this? And how Mm -hmm. are they storing this? And I think the fact that this is information about children, which right now under our laws are kind of a protected class in a way mm-hmm. because of the uh, digital, oh, I always forget the name of this law. DMI, D- Digital Millennium Information Act, maybe? Digi- for- digital Millennium Copyright Act. Okay. Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It's an act. It, <laughs> the, the laws and their, their acronyms always lose yeah. me. However, that basically say that you can't collect information about kids under the age of 13, um, mm-hmm. you can't, and you can't advertise to them, rather, is kind of the actual ruling or the, the issue at stake here. VTech obviously wasn't advertising to these children. Um, it, you can actually collect information about them. But the fact that it puts this data at risk like that and puts these children at risk kind of of all kinds of things, yeah. nobody in Congress is going to be thrilled about this, which means yeah. the FTC is probably going to be like, Oh, hello, VTech. Let us talk about your data storage practices. Perhaps well, it's time the industry step up. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, VTech is based in Hong Kong. Yeah, which, but if you want to sell your products in the United States. Oh, no argument. No argument. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. So, and, you know, as you can see in the list of where these accounts were, the U.S. is a rather large market for VTech. 
based on the fact that 2.2 million of the parent accounts are here and 2. Point yeah, almost 50% of the parent accounts were from the US. And the child's profiles look they're 2. Point, almost say about, yeah. about a third to a half of the child profiles were from the US as well. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, significant. Also, so that that's our hope is maybe maybe now we'll get less of a hands-off laissez-faire approach to how not only just giving us lip service to privacy around mm-hmm. our data and co- companies needing to be kind of cognizant of this, but actual like, okay, maybe we need to start setting some baseline standards about how data needs to be stored. And it may be that VTech would be following those minimum standards, but hey, let's get them in place. You know, I, I wonder though if it's if companies have put standards in place but haven't evolved them with the times. I think right now we should set some standards, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see outcome-based standards as opposed to just like mm. "thou shalt store your database" or passwords in hashed insulted or hashed insulted databases. Right. Then, in rather "thou shalt," you know maintain and and I guess this is this is kind of one of those things thou shalt perform audits on your database you know password your where you store your passwords you know every 6 months and mm-hmm. you know make sure that a hacker with this level of skill can't you know spending x number of hours on it can't get past it maybe that's a way to think about it so mm-hmm. much more outcome as opposed to prescriptive because that feels like it may be a wiser way to deal with security, especially since things just are con- they're going to continually evolve. Yeah, the, the trick is that security was always important. It's just now it is important for far more devices and industries than it was, say, even just five or ten years ago. Every, every industry is now impacted by data or big data and therefore needs to have security measures in place. Yeah, and maybe maybe there's a a way that we should be thinking about, you know, maybe not every company needs to handle their own security. Maybe there should be escrow. I mean, in a way that's kind of one of the services that a lot of the big cloud providers offer is they store your data for you. Mm-hmm. And some of them are better at it than others. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that kind of creates a booming industry for like an IBM or an AWS. And and you get into who's watching the watchers. Yeah. You know? It's it's there's no easy answer. I mean There isn't, but being able to shrug your shoulders and say, Wow, that's a hard problem. I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm just gonna <laughs> offer kids a connected tablet or I'm just gonna offer a, you know, connected cooking stove that's gonna pull up a bunch of data that we may want someday doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be the right thing to do either. Yep. I agree. I agree. We can't just walk away because it's hard. So speaking of security or (laughs) practices that maybe we should think about might not be the best. Mm. um, (laughs) uh, We saw, let's see, who was it who published this survey that is. SEC consult. Yes. SEC Mm -hmm. consult. This, this was worth mentioning. It was a, there's a survey that was published on Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. Not the greatest timing, I got to say, but, you know, mm. someone picked it up and I'm glad they did because these guys analyzed firmware from more than 4,000 embedded devices 
from 70 vendors. And they looked at them and they said, holy cow, these devices use a remarkably similar number of uh, SSH host keys because Hmm. they're all using the same software development kits from these vendors. Um, And so the, the, this is akin to basically what would it be like, Kevin? Be like, you know, out of a hundred of us, 50 of us are using the same password and we all know what that password is. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to use password today. What about you, Kevin? Oh, how did you know that I use that? Oh man. Well, let's just tell our 50 closest friends. What are the odds? Who else uses password? (laughs) <laughs> so basically we're all using password, which would be great if everyone's as trustworthy as Kevin and I, but you know, sometimes we have friends who aren't as trustworthy and they might use password. And since they know we use password, they're just going to pop on in and be like, Hey, I bet Kevin and Stacy are also using password and I really want access to their device. Let me see if they're using it too. Mm. Oh, they are. So you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show even started, and we were trying to figure out why this situation actually exists. And I think you hit upon the key point, because I thought, well, is it a technical issue? How difficult is it, is it to generate a different key or whatever? And you said, no, it's probably pretty easy, and it's kind of a matter of laziness. It is not laziness out of maliciousness. It's, no, no, no. It's just no. laziness because up until now, you've you've never really had to think about this before because... You know, who's really mucking around with SDK on some random sensor or connected dog collar, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, these things have been used in like these weird embedded projects for a while. But now that they're getting stuck in like consumer devices, Mm -hmm. they're becoming kind of interesting targets. They may not even be that attractive, honestly. But when you're like at Black Hat or doing something, you know, they're, they're certainly like celebratory targets. Like, ooh, I just hacked a toilet. Woo! So I think what's happened is suddenly people are like, oh, shoot, now I got to close the back door. Yep. yep. So that's what this is. And we'll put the link to the survey for people who want to, you know, I don't know, security people like to see this stuff. They like to argue with it. Well, there's, there's a lot of good data here. And in particular, I was looking at the vendors and products that were affected. They said there were more than 900 products from 50 vendors to be vulnerable based on just their limited survey. And they're, they're big names in this list. Oh yeah, like I'm. I'm not gonna go. Well, you, go ahead, ch- pick three. Pick three. Uh, what do you <laughs> pick five? I don't. I don't care. There's. I mean, people will know these names. This is not. You know, small companies. Okay, so these are. I mean, these are. Let's see. D-Link, Netgear, Western Digital, Cisco, mm-hmm. Broadcom, GE, Philips, Motorola, Pirelli. They make tires. Why are they in here? Uh, maybe the pr- tire sensors, the air pressure sensors or something. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, some of these names, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Sierra Wireless, Seagate. Yeah, uh, Ubiquity Networks. I love those mm, guys. Hey, oh, yeah. And it's nothing against these companies. That's not why I brought this up. I just wanted people to understand the breadth and scope of, of what, you know, where this problem actually is. It's, it's pretty widespread. Yeah. I mean, these are, yeah, these are not. Again. They're not, these are not Kickstarters. <laughs> these are, yeah. And these are, and this is not by any, this is not by any stretch of the imagination. Like a, the, the, the idea here is they're using things like Broadcom's SDKs mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're, they're basically just using the keys that came with it and they're the just bots. copying that code and they're like, boom, now it's in our, you know, because, because they've always done it and they haven't had to think about it. They could get away with it before, but given the way that IoT, the IoT market and 
mainstream consumers getting into smart devices, you, you can't get away with that anymore. Yeah. So, so this is, this is pretty cool. I mean, cool in the sense that like, yikes and cool that this research is out there and has been done. So I'm going to encourage you guys, if you're interested in it, take a look at it. It's, it's kind of scary, but also mm-hmm. worth looking at. Got to be informed. And this is, this is the first step to actually doing something about it. So exactly. Boom. Let's make it happen. So that was the scary part of our our podcast. Let's move on to something exciting. Happy times. Happy times. Good times. Um, Let's talk about, should we talk about the latest Pi Zero or should we talk about making Christmas IoT enabled? Let's go with the Pi Zero because, you know, this is a a time where everything is low cost because it's on sale for the holidays, but this is low cost all the time. Five bucks. I know. It's brand new. So, on Thanksgiving here in the U.S. and not on Thanksgiving in the U.K., the Raspberry Pi Foundation launched the Pi Zero, which is a cheap, cheap, cheap board containing a 1 gigahertz ARM 11 processor. It's got an SD card, and I'm not going to go too much into this because our guest today is Eben Upton, who is the creator of the Raspberry Pi, and we're going to talk a lot about it. Um, it's a shame Kevin wasn't here for this because he and he and Evan could have had a great time. So stay tuned for our guests because Evan is going to talk to us about like what you can use it for, how it differs from like the other pies, why besides being cheap. <laughs> besides being cheap, yes, we we talk about it and we even talk about battery life. We actually get kind of crazy detailed. So hmm. yeah, we talk about pin counts, man. So those you, you, who don't care about pin counts, just bear with us. Yeah, you know what's <laughs> what's crazy about this five dollar card size computer. They're saying it's half the size of the Model A plus, but with twice the utility. They didn't just take all the components and, you know, downsize them and all. It still has 1080p, 60 frames per second, HDMI out, for example. I literally am thinking about getting one to turn into a, a home media server for, for streaming online content. So you can't get one now because I know it's sold out. They're only making 10,000 of them a week. So you may have to wait a little bit. Don't go on eBay. Just just wait. Hold your yeah. horses. But in the meantime, you could maybe order the the chip, which is a nine dollar computer that also went on sale on Cyber Monday, hmm. um, which was November twenty no November thirtieth, um, and that's from the Next Thing Co. And that also, I believe, has a one gigahertz processor. I don't know its graphics capabilities, hmm. but also cheap. Yep. Pretty cool. Full. These are these are great for tinkering little computer projects, learning, uh, teaching kids programming, how to use Linux. I mean, there are so many things you can do with a Raspberry Pi. There are, and we'll 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 come back to that mm-hmm. later on in the show. But moving right along, because yes. because we have to. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Christmas, because you guys might be getting your holiday decorations out, and I have some some ideas and thoughts for you. So if you were listening to the show last year around this time, uh, you may have heard that I bought a pair of connected lights. Uh, these were the eye twinkle lights from GE. And I have to tell you, mm. I bought, I brought them out again. They still work after a year in. And I brought them out actually for two holidays because you can turn the lights a bunch of different colors. Mm-hmm. I'm still in the market for a slightly better connected light. These are Bluetooth connected. So... And actually, the updates to the app make them better. So they connect both to the iOS and the Android phone. Mm -hmm. And they play music. For a connected pair of 
lights that cost about 50 bucks. I think they were on sale at Home Depot. So it was, uh, hmm. it's 25 lights each in, I've got two strands of 25 lights. They're huge, ginormous globes. You can also buy smaller versions of these for your tree. I would like for them to be a little bit more customizable, but basically I can't get the lights to do much of anything except be all one color unless I'm also playing music, which my neighbors would kill me if I did 24 mm. seven. Yeah. So that's the downside of this particular brand of light. If the Philips light strips worked outdoors, I would mm. get those in a heartbeat. Yeah. They look we, nice. Wemo actually has a set of outdoor light strips or oh. outdoor lights that I think might be colored. I'm going to try to get some of those and see what, how they work. I'm a little, you know, leery of the Wemo software experience, but it is Christmas. Yeah. I, I was it. I was thinking the um, Wemo switch might work outside, but it's probably not uh, weather resistant, unfortunately. It is not. Once yeah. again, guys, mm-hmm. old standby. It is the Jasco Z-Wave. Uh, sorry, it's the GE Jasco Z-Wave outdoor switch. Mm-hmm. It is connected to my SmartThings hub. You could also connect it to your Wink hub. Yeah. It is pricey. I think it's about 40 bucks right now uh, at Home Depot. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pay more for something that's weather resistant and all. That's fine. I have four of them. I Ooh. love those guys. I know. I buy I buy more every year because yeah. my, my light show expands every year. But this year, new new tweak on that old design because I've got it both on SmartThings or you could do it on Wink. You can group them under a setting on your Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. So now if I say to she who shall not be named, Christmas, turn Christmas on, boom. All your outside lights are on. All my Well, actually, I've hooked it up into my um, indoor lights too. So all oh. Christmas comes on. So it's a scene. It's a scene, baby. Wow. It's pretty freaking awesome. Nice. It, it is nice. And if I could actually get my Sonosis to reliably work, I could mm. actually make it so like music, music. comes on, mm-hmm. which would Man. be kind of amazing, but also kind of annoying because it would happen every single day. You'd, you'd have to give tours of your home at that point, Christmas tours. There, our lights aren't that fancy. Yeah, but just the whole voice command thing, the kids would love it. Uh, music yeah. comes on, the lights go on. Ooh, ah, oh yeah. Fancy. Mm-hmm. I did see in the Wall Street Journal, Gregory Fowler, their kind of personal device columnist, yeah. has a, he actually used some little bits to make ornaments for his tree. Smart. So I'm actually going to gonna see how that works out for us because I hadn't thought of that. And I thought that was a really- Light up case, ornaments. Pretty slick idea. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very nice. So that's what I'm going to try out. I'm going to try out some, see if I can't score some uh, different outdoor lights- if you're if you're in the market for them, see if you can't find the eye twinkle lights on sale. They're pretty good, not great, but I'll, I'll of, take all a look. One, of all the ones that are out there, they were the best. We tried another brand that I can't remember right now, and these mm. were our favorite last year. I'm surprised actually that the lighting technology has not advanced further. To be honest, well, it's. It's not cheap for one thing, uh, and I think what the lighting companies are doing is focusing on the lowest bang for most bang for buck, and that's indoors. You know, traditional lighting. Christmas. People <laughs> spend a lot of money on Christmas. Well, people spend six billion dollars on their pets, but they're not putting lights on them. So I, I don't know about that. I think they're spending the money where they see the biggest bang. 
All right, fine. You're yeah. probably right. Maybe All I'll right. put a light on my dog then. You never know. You could. You could mm-hmm. have a holiday pooch. Yeah. All right. I think you bought something cool. You want to talk about it? I do want to talk about it, but I can't talk about it because I much because I don't have it yet. All right. Um, so you want to? No, no, I want want to share the news at least. Um, The news is that, and this is, not all of this is brand new news. Back when Amazon came out with its new Fire TV, which I think was September, it said that it did work with the Amazon Echo. And it did. But now, and I can't give you the exact date because Amazon doesn't update its support pages with dates, but this week I saw that the Fire TV now works with the Echo specifically to control smart devices. So, you know what? For $25 off with this Cyber Monday deal, I ordered a Fire TV. I actually needed a streaming stick anyway. Uh, I ordered a Fire TV with the voice remote, and the voice remote will be I'll be able to control things around my house through the Fire TV remote to the Echo in a very roundabout way. But that's a good thing because we only have the one Echo, and it's second floor of our house in my home office, whereas mostly we watch TV downstairs. So if we're watching TV on the Fire TV, we can still turn off lights. You can still get information from Alexa. And actually, I don't know if you knew this, Stacey, the the um, information pops up on the screen almost on like, like giant cards. So if you want a Wikipedia entry uh, or traffic or weather, it'll actually vis- visually show that on a Fire TV. I did not know that. Oh, man. I wish I had known that because I would have gotten the Fire TV because it was on sale for Black Friday. That's Yeah, well, it was Cyber Monday, too. It might still be on sale. I don't know. How much did you buy it for? $75 with a voice remote. Ooh, that's kind of expensive. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, it was, it's okay. It, it, the interesting thing, the voice remote looks like the same voice remote you use for an Echo. They just it's just Bluetooth paired, I suspect, to the Fire TV. It, it looks like the identical product, so maybe you didn't even need to buy the voice remote. Or How much or, is it without the voice remote? You can just get a Fire TV stick for as low, well, over the holidays, it was $25. And that does the same thing. It's the same thing as my Chromecast, basically. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and if you have a, a, a voice remote for your Echo, you could probably Bluetooth connect it to the TV stick and use that in lieu of... Directly speaking to the Echo. I do have a voice remote for the Echo. We could see if they work together. Mm. It's thirty nine ninety nine for a TV stick now. Oh, oh bum, bum, bum. Killer. Although bum, seeing bum, the bum. cards up, because one of the things we actually do with the Echo is my daughter is in a Spanish immersion program. And so oh. we ask the Echo what something is in Spanish, and she sends the translation to the cards. Mm-hmm. But it would be kind of neat to send it to the TV instead of to my phone, because then what happens is my daughter yeah. takes my phone and runs off right. with it. Well, the the full price Fire TV is ninety nine with a voice remote. The Fire TV stick does not come with a voice remote. It's forty dollars, but you could probably use your existing, is my guess. All right. Well, mm. that's something to think about. Maybe maybe I'll just wait for the Fire TV stick to go on sale again. There you go. All right. Well, awesome. Let us not take much more time on our section of the show because I want us to get to Eben so he can talk to us more about the Pi Zero. And he's also going to give us some advice, which I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but might inspire me to actually fulfill my New Year's resolution from this last year. And it's, Which was? Well, if I told you, it would it would tell you the advice. So you're, right. you're going to have to listen. Big tease, big tease. Huge tease. So stay tuned. 
We are back after the holiday break with an awesome guest. This is Eben Upton, who is, oh gosh, I don't know, the head of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. I'm being a little generic here because, Eben, <laughs> what is your actual title? And so I'm one of the founders of the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and I'm currently the I'm the chief executive of Raspberry Pi Trading, which is the uh, so the foundation is a charity, and um, it has a um, it has a, a subsidiary which does the engineering and marketing, uh, and that's the bit I run. Got it. Okay, so you know, it's, it's a, a longer guy. answer maybe than than you were looking for, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's the most accurate answer. I'm always looking for the most accurate answer. That's what we want. <laughs> All right, so you guys had big news on on Thanksgiving Day here in America, and on November twenty sixth over in the UK, you guys released the Pi Zero. Tell us about this five dollar Pi Zero. So um, let's let me think. So the Pi Zero is it's our cheapest Raspberry Pi to date. So when we so Pi's been around for about three and a half years now, and we we kind of kicked off with this twenty five dollar the idea of building a, something that costs twenty five dollars and is about the size of a credit card. Um, and for most of our existence, we've had a a twenty five a twenty twenty five dollar entry level product, and we've had a thirty five dollar deluxe product. And the kind of the thirty five dollar product adds um, wired network connectivity to the to the base device, a little bit more memory, and and recently more processing power. Um, oh wait, and- before before you go on, I'm sorry. I should for people who don't know what the Pi is, it's a Linux based computer. Kevin actually has one, and he uses it to run a. Actually, he runs a server off of his router that I think he uses as a printer or some sort of thing in his house. But you can use this to do any number of things. You can, I, I actually had one for a while and I didn't use it for much, but because um, I'm more of an Arduino shame, person. Shame, shame's money. Shame on me. No, I have. Because <laughs> there are so many things you can do with our product. Exactly. We'll talk about that in a minute. So yeah, back, put me on the spot and make me actually enumerate what those things are. Yeah, you, so. You've got time because you can, you can now finish telling us what the Pi Zero is. I just wanted people who were like, wait, Pi <laughs> delicious. You should mm, it is delicious. It is delicious. And so, so yes, yeah, so, so the original idea was, can we build a little credit card size computer that costs about 25 bucks? That costs about the same amount you pay for a school textbook. That was kind of the idea. Can we make a, can we make a little PC for kids, a little programmable PC for kids that costs the same as a textbook? Um, and so we've been, we've three and a half years now, we've been selling several iterations of this product at the kind of 25, 20, well, 20 to $35 price point. Um, it's gone really well and we've sold about seven, a little over 7 million of them now. Um, and then, but in the back of our minds, you know, we were pretty pleased with ourselves. I think when we, we got to the $25 point and we did manage to inch the, our bottom end price down to $20 last year. Um, and we thought we were doing pretty well. Um, but that we still keep meeting people for who, who, who say things like, uh, yeah, you know, I've heard of Raspberry Pi. I'm interested in getting in, uh, getting involved in, in computing, in programming. Uh, but I, I haven't quite taken the leap yet. I haven't quite taken the plunge. And it's, it becomes apparent to us that, particularly among kids, you know, twenty five dollars, thirty five dollars, it's it's a significant amount of money. It's enough money that you might choose not to spend it. You might choose to spend the money on something else. So over the last year, what we've been doing is this exercise to try and try and figure out how we can make something that was even cheaper for for people who care about this sort of thing. This is a one gigahertz processor with 
512 megabytes of RAM, right? Yeah. So you've got half a, you've got half a gig of RAM. You've got a one gig processor. Um, and it's, a, it's an enormous by, by, by anything but the standards of the last five or 10 years. It's an enormous amount of processing power. I like your metrics. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, if this was 2000, I would be like, wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of performance. Um, you know, I mean, Raspberry Pi has always been about delivering enough performance. You know, so you're delivering kind of the performance that would have, you would have seen in a PC you know, 10 or 12 years ago, um, taking that level of performance that would have cost you hundreds of dollars back then and then delivering that at, well, originally $25 and now $5. Well, if I'm a kid, can I can I use this to play Minecraft on it? Yes, specifically okay. use it to play Minecraft on. We have a special version of Minecraft that runs on the Raspberry Pi. The the Pi Zero. Yes, it okay. runs on all the Raspberry, but particularly the Pi Zero. Okay, see that's because you know, as a as a child, I feel like that is yeah. like the number one yeah. thing that Scratch, Minecraft. I don't know. Is there like a trifecta of programs that you think about when you're doing this? Minecraft um, for, um, well, Python, I guess, is, you know, for programming stuff, Python, um, for kind of utility stuff, a web browser. You know, it's important. It's not kind of, it's not a computer if it doesn't have a web browser, I think is probably fair. Uh, and we, we, we run a, a good, we run a good web browser, you know, web browser will go to YouTube and play videos, you know, it'll, it's a modern web browser. Okay. All right, so let's talk about what you cut out to get to this because <laughs> because it yeah. is a $5 computer that is modern and awesome by the standards of 2000. What what yes. doesn't it so, have? What doesn't it have? Well, so so there so the big thing I guess it doesn't have is it doesn't have a network connection. Um what it, so so what it talk about what it does have. So it has um the processor, it has memory. Uh, it has an SD card slot that you can use to connect. That you, you use for storage, so it stores its operating system on it, just a regular micro SD card. It's got an HDMI connector that you can plug your television into. Um, we're assuming most people will use this with a high definition television. You can actually connect an analog, an old analog television to it if you want, but of course the resolution ends up being very low. Um, and then it has a it has a USB, a single USB connection. So all of the any peripherals you want to plug into it, you can plug into it through that USB connection. If you want to plug more than one USB thing into it, obviously, you're going to need a, a USB hub. And so we, we expect there can be a lot of people just plug a plug a keyboard into the USB connection and then they're happy. Um, it, a lot of people are going to plug maybe a, two, a three or four port hub in, and then they're going to plug in a keyboard and a mouse and maybe a wireless network adapter. I mean, that's probably going to be the usual kind of triple, the usual thing that, that, that people plug into it when they want to use it as a... That's for people who want to use it as a, as a PC, for people who want to use it as a, as a, a low-cost uh, desktop computer. Um, people who want to use it for IoT-type applications, maybe they're just going to plug a single Wi-Fi dongle into it, and that'll be enough for them. Well, wait, because this doesn't have, I don't see room for a battery. How am I going to get power to this thing? Okay, so you can either power it. It has a, it has a micro USB uh, connector that you can plug a power supply into. So you can plug your mobile phone charger into it. Okay. Uh, so you've got two, two, two USBs down there, one for data, one for power. So you're either plugging in, you either, if you want to plug it into the wall, you're plugging a mobile phone power adapter into it. If you want to power it, uh, if you want it to be mobile, you can get those little, USB power bricks that you uh, use to charge your phone. Um, or it's got this 40-pin connector. It's got an unpopulated GPIO expansion connector. And you can actually feed it 5 volts over that as well if you want to integrate it into some sort of uh, kind of bigger thing. 
All right. So I brought you, and this is, this is a tiny, tiny little thing. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm terrible at, <laughs> I'm terrible at thinking in terms of. We sort of think kind of sticky gum. We kind of like, if the original one was a credit card, this doesn't quite actually have quite the right aspect rate. It's a little bit shorter and a little bit wider than a stick of gum, but it's kind of the same area as, as a stick of gum. All right. So, so I've got this and, you know, you're on the IOT show and I'm having you here, even though this is not fundamentally connected, but I, anytime I see cool, cheap computing devices and you know, the Pi community is amazing. I mean, people, people build supercomputers with these things. They're just a bunch. I love them. They're the nuttiest people in the face of the planet and they talk about what they're doing and they're really helpful. So what do you think for the people out there who are listening and are like, I want to build with this. This is cheap and fun and I can blow stuff up because I feel like that's kind of our listeners' mindset sometimes. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a benign... Both stuff is fun. So, yeah. um, so, so, so the, the um, like I say, um, if you want to do IoT type stuff with it, you're going to need to plug some sort of uh, radio. You're going to need a radio, right? Right. Um, the, the obvious way, I mean, I, I like kind of things that look neat and tidy, so I would probably plug a, just plug a, like a, we, we have an official Raspberry Pi um, 802.11n uh, Wi-Fi um, uh, adapter, so I would be inclined to plug that into my single USB, into my single USB connection. I'll get something that looks quite nice. Um, I've, I've already seen somebody on Hackaday. There's a, um, there's a Hackaday hack where someone's taken a um, an Edimax um, USB Wi-Fi dongle, taken it out of its case, uh, wrapped it up in captain tape, and then soldered it onto the back of the, so just soldered flying leads from the, the pads on the, the now disemboweled uh, USB um, uh, Wi-Fi adapter onto the back of the um, USB connector on the, uh, on the zero. And that gives, you, that gives you a very thin, that gives you a very thin and light, albeit slightly wrapped up in tape, um, uh, way of doing Wi-Fi. On the device, so we think a lot of people who want to do homebrew IoT stuff, they're just going to, you know, going to come up with some way of getting Wi-Fi or conceivably Bluetooth BLE um, onto there, and that's going to be their solution. Yeah, because I feel like I've got like a fifteen-dollar Bluetooth kind of radio that's just a straight-up tiny little Bluetooth radio size of like maybe it's not even a quarter, uh, maybe it's like a little like a nickel. So if I stuck this with the computer, then I could actually make some of my presence. De- I could give my presence detectors a little bit more intelligence that I've been kind of looking for outside of the proprietary kind of world that I've kind of been stuck with. So that but this is the one. That's the wonderful thing about USB, though, that, you know, USB is this kind of lowest common denominator standard for connecting stuff together. And if you go on, uh, if you go on eBay or, Amazon or any or Alibaba, you'll find really, 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 really cheap wireless, you know, USB dongles for every conceivable wireless standard. So, you know, you can that's one that's why we picked USB as the as the, the way of attaching peripherals to this device. Um, because it just means you can just go and buy things for a dollar um, that'll give you some kind of radio uh, on top of this. And we kind of concentrate on what we're good at, which is providing the brains, uh, you know, providing you know, a thing which will run Linux. Um, and then um, putting the right port on there so that people who want to use it for a little homebrew IoT, IoT project, they can, uh, um, you know, they, they can go source the radio from somewhere and do that much more cheaply, actually, and effectively than we could. 
Okay. And how long, like for a power consumption perspective, what am I looking at, at the power consumption for this board? And can you talk to me in terms of like battery life as opposed to like... Okay. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, starting off from the volts and amp side, um, the thing draws um, a, it was something like, I actually have some numbers. Um, it's something like um, between 100 and 150 milliamps at um, uh, 5 volts, but actually you can, t- you can generally run it at about 3 volts um, if, you don't need, uh, uh, if you don't need total USB device compatibility. An awful lot of USB devices, although you're supposed to feed them 5 volts, will still live if you three, feed them 3v3. Um, so it's about, it's, it's under, you know, without doing any work, it's under half a watt. Power consumption, so a decent sized battery will keep this thing just running for a very. I've I've seen the Model A Plus, which was our a kind of uh, that was our twenty dollar product, which has about similar power consumption. I see I've seen that run off six AAs for you know forty five hours, something like that. You know, and six AAs are not a particularly you know AAs are not a particularly high tech battery technology, right? Um, so so yeah, you know, it really uh, it'll keep going. Um, and if you're prepared to do the work, if you're prepared to play with the clock speeds and you know start turning things off on the on the CPU on the device, you could probably squeeze another order of magnitude out of that. All right. So maybe I should look for someone to start squeezing, like doing the work for me, because I am not I am not that kind of engineer to like start turning things off on the CPU. Well, that's what's really good about about the Pi community. You mentioned the the kind of the, all the people who hack on the Pi is that generally Google is your friend now, right? So you know if you want if you want to squeeze the power consumption of a Pi down, I I I, I would guess that Googling. Um, I want to reduce the power consumption of my Raspberry Pi. Will turn turn up a hundred articles, uh, that, that you know, a hundred forum posts of people who've done these things already, right? And that's the advantage of building this stuff on top of Pi, right? right. Is people have been there before. You're not blazing a trail, you know. It's it's you, you know the stuff's going to work. I need some firmware here. Um, okay, this is awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how did you? Because I, I read somewhere that. Um, I believe was it? Uh, did Eric Schmidt tell you to actually? Oh, yes. Yeah, to, yeah. To do this, yeah. this is this is advice from Eric. This is one of these. This is one of these really weird kind of life changing. I mean, you know, you read about guys like. I mean, I don't spend a lot of my time hanging out with with people like that. Um, but you know, you, you see them. You see, you see them be very effective in their in their in their business lives, and. It, it can be hard to tell whether someone's effective because they're effective because they're bright and smart, or whether they're effective because they were lucky, you know, because they were just in the right place at, at the right time. Um, but I had a I had a, I had a chance to meet um, Eric in about three years ago now, at the start of 2013, and and yeah, I I, I Google had given us a million dollar grant to distribute um, uh, Raspberry Pis to kids in the UK, and um, he was there at the announcement of the, the kind of media launch for this program. And I, um, I asked him, uh, I, I, he asked me, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're thinking of making a Raspberry Pi 2. We're going to make it a lot more powerful and a bit more expensive. Um, and he told me I was an idiot and that that was absolutely the wrong thing to do and that I should try and be cheap, um, that, that I should try to strive to find ways to make the product closer to free. 
Um, and uh, so I went back to the, and it was because, you know, it's, it's it, because cheapness leads to volume, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and volume leads to, um, you know, ubiquity le leads to success. Um, and so I went back to the office and I cancelled all of the work that we were planning to do to make a more expensive, more powerful Raspberry Pi 2. Um, I went back and I cancelled everything. Um, and we did obviously eventually, two years later, launch a Raspberry Pi 2. We could have launched a Raspberry Pi 2 you know, within six months of that conversation with Eric um, if we'd taken the the more expensive route. But what we did was this, this motivated us to go away and kind of take a take a longer, harder route to the same place. Um, and we ended up with Raspberry Pi 2, which has been enormously successful for us this year, um, at $35, which was our original price point. And then, so that was one half of the equation. And the other half of the equation was to start us thinking about how do we take features out? You know, how do we make something cheaper? How do we, um, you know, what can we, what can we remove from the pie? What, what compromises can we make to, to be cheaper? The first fruit of that was this, this reduction of our entry-level price point from 25 to 20 last year for the Model A+. Plus. And then the kind of ultimate consequence of this has been the, the zero. Nice. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things. So, so I've, I've, I've answered an interesting question, which is, is Eric Schmidt smart and lucky? It turns out. Well, he's probably both, but he's certainly smart. There you go. Well, we'll see. I mean, so far you've sold out. Um, yeah. When when can we expect to be able to buy more? Um, so we made two thousand. So the first post launch units were built today. We made a couple of thousand today. Um, uh, so I, I would expect these will make their way into channel in the next few days. Um, and um, we actually need to. So some of them we're going to need to use. Um, we we bundled this thing on the front of a magazine. Um, so we have our own magazine called The Magpie, and we put it on the front cover of the magazine for free. Uh, so some of the units we made today are going to subscribers. Uh, we have some, you know, if you subscribe to The Magpie, you, you, you get a, this month, you get a free, a free zero. So some of our output is going to go to help those people. Um, and then the rest will get put into our various distribution channels in the UK and the US. All right. We'll build about, we'll about 10,000 this week. 10,000 this week. Okay. Yes. Which is actually quite slow for Raspberry Pi. Um, I mean, in terms of the big product, uh, we build, um, what would it be? It would be 60 or 70,000 a week. So it's actually zero is quite a small scale operation for us at the moment. Uh, we'll, we'll hope to ramp it up and ramp it up a bit in due course. Got it. All right. And then in the spirit of, uh, in the spirit of Schmidt, what would your advice be to people who are listening and thinking about building their own product or even learning learning to code i mean there's lots of people who look up to you you've got to learn to code right you've got to learn to be able to program um you come across people who have like an idea you get these people who who i have this amazing idea for an app and uh, i just need to find it's going to be amazing and i just have to find somebody to, to to write it for me um and that's i don't i don't know i mean i i, I couldn't live like that um I think you've got to you've got to have a, a, a basic level of technical competence in order to get involved in doing um, technical stuff. I guess probably the other thing is, um, uh, and this is probably more one for the engineers, right? For the people who do have the technical capability, is that um, technical capability comes with 
some downsides sometimes in terms of, I certainly know it does for me, in terms of how I think about problems. Um, and I tend to think about, um, uh, and your willingness to launch product before it's totally polished. Um, and, you know, we launched Raspberry Pi when it was good enough, uh, but it wasn't perfect. Um, and we learned a lot. It's a, the, the minimum viable product. I mean, I think everyone knows this, right? Um, is that um, the perfect can be the enemy of the good enough. And, um, you know, particularly with a lot of these, these, these products in developing, emerging areas like IoT, you're, gonna not, you're not going to know what it is you want to make. Uh, what, what, what your actual product is until it's, it's seen action, until it's, it's been used out, out, out in the world. Um, so, so yeah, the launch early, launch often thing, it's kind of a well-known dictum, um, but it's, it is very relevant um, in the IoT world and in the kind of maker hardware space. Um, I'm certainly glad that we put Raspberry Pi. I think we put Raspberry Pi at just the right time when it was just good enough, um, and then we learned lots of stuff, and then we've been rolling those things we've learned into products ever since, and, and Zero is kind of the, uh, the, the latest iteration of that. All right. So learn to code, launch early, launch often. Those are, those are not, you know, necessarily new. No, I, 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 that's the thing. I don't think I have any, I don't think I have any, anything, have anything new to say. I don't know. No, Um, but that's that's the thing. You know, these things are, these things are cliches because they're, they're cliches because they're true and they're cliches because because people ignore them. They're, they're, they're pieces of advice. If they were, if they were, they're things that are well-known to be true. And if they were well-known to be true and everyone did them, people wouldn't say them. People say them because they're well-known to be true and people still don't do them. So, well, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I, I've been meaning to learn to code for, you know, three years now and yeah. still I mean, haven't. So maybe this is, this is the moment. It's like, a, it's like those Spears board games, you know, it's an afternoon to, <laughs> an afternoon to learn and a lifetime to master. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. And I am excited to test out the Pi Zero when I get a chance to order one. Well, 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 well thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Hey, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye.